The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. Every sports media star has a story. From the highs... We are number one. We just grabbed every key demographic. <laughs> to the lows... You're fired! The path to success is always different. To help you learn more about the industry's top broadcasters, Barrett Sports Media brings you the Sports Talkers Podcast. Now, here's your host, Stephen Strong. All right, we're keeping it rolling here with another great guest for you guys. The radio voice of the Los Angeles Clippers, the Nickelodeon voice of the NFL playoff game that they've been doing, and a good friend of mine, Noah Eagle, is set to join us in just a few seconds here. We get into a really nice conversation, an informative one, an entertaining one. He is an entertainer at heart, and you will listen to the interview and agree with me. We talk a little bit about his childhood. He is the son of Ian Eagle, and if you are in this business, man, what a guy to have in your life if you're trying to get to the top of the business. And um, we talk a little bit about that growing up. His pretty much journey from graduating Syracuse to getting on a plane and sitting in an office with Steve Ballmer and at 22 years old. And um, we get into some advice as well. Really funny story. I have to, I have to tell this very quickly. Uh, how me and Noah met... I was interning for Chris Mad Dog Russo when I was 20, I think it was, and Noah came in. Noah's older than me. Noah came in. Eric Spitz was walking him around and I guess showing him around because Noah ended up doing this show called The Student Section. So Noah comes into the room and he looked super familiar and I was like, who is this guy? So he comes in and Eric said, oh, here's Ian's son. This is Noah Eagle. He's at Syracuse. Great. He's awesome. Blah, 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 blah. Chris didn't hear Eric say that. So we're all in this radio room. We're all in the studio. And Chris didn't hear what Eric said. So Eric said, guess who this is? And Chris just without hesitation goes, oh, it's Damon Amendolara's kid. And everyone just started to laugh because they actually do look very alike. That's a joke that we both uh, we both kind of share about. But it was really funny that look at Noah now, just like just an incredible talent and uh, crispy and Chris. It was just a really funny story. So that was our first introduction. And then we ended up kind of hitting it off and uh, seeing each other a couple times in studio because he was at Syracuse. I was still going to school as well. We saw each other a couple times at Sirius. So we've kind of kept in contact, which has been awesome. So uh, without further ado. Here is the radio voice of the Los Angeles Clippers, Noah Eagle. This was my first thought because we always talk about, you know, these NBA players that grew up with NBA dads and how that affected their craft and how their work ethic went. Steph Curry, Del Curry, that kind of thing. Give me your kind of perspective as a child, just kind of growing up with your dad, Ian, doing the Nets games. Give us sort of a feel for what that was like and how it's helped. Yeah, Stephen, it is interesting because you never really do think about it in those terms, but Steph Curry is showing up to the arena and taking shots as a four-year-old in his Charlotte Hornets warm-up. It's not like I was showing up to Continental Airlines Arena and sitting next to my dad and doing warm-ups like, Jason Kidd, spin layup! <laughs> like, I wasn't doing that. If, if, if someone walked by a four-year-old doing that, they would probably put him in a mental institution. So the, the comparison for me was actually, I was just around it so much that I was enamored by it. And I think that couple things happen if you if you have a good relationship with a parent and I have a good relationship with both of mine fortunately especially my dad you want to emulate them you want to find ways to be like them you want to develop into the skill sets that they've developed for themselves and so a lot of it just was through osmosis of being around it and and being enamored by it for sure 
but I would sit in his office and I would just read through or not before I could even read. I would look through all the media guides when they were still physical, big, massive books. I would learn about all these players, you know, the story that my parents love and I've told before, but I'll tell again that is a little embarrassing because I probably was too old for this at the time, but it still happened was I would wake up every morning and I just would decide which player I wanted to be called for the day. <laughs> but I was I was a young kid. And so it wasn't even just like to my parents, it was to everybody. They would they would drop me off at preschool and they'd have to tell my teacher for the day. Yeah, he's uh, he's Keyshawn today. It was a big Keyshawn J- Johnson fan or Keyshawn <laughs> for the day. And so then all the kids are in there and they're just normally, you know, they're normal Matt, Joey. And then they get to me and they'd be like, Dirk. Or at the supermarket, they love to tell, you know, they, they, I'd be in aisle four and they'd be in aisle three. They'd turn around and be like, Noah. And I would not respond. Noah. I would wow. not respond. Finally, Keyshawn. Yeah. <laughs> and then people would be like, really? Like, 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 don't worry about it. It's only dynamics. But I think I was just so in love with sports and so in love with being at the events. And so everything else just kind of fell into place as a result. Syracuse, it is the mecca for broadcasting. And um, as you list out, you look at these different broadcasters, a lot of them went to Syracuse. What did that environment, how did that help you? Like, I'm sure you have so much to say about it, but as a person, like I'm broadcast, aspiring broadcaster, I didn't go to Syracuse, would love to know just some of the things that really helped you being there. I think that there's this misconception of, hey, you learned everything in the classroom at Syracuse and that's why you are what you are because to your point there are all these people that have now gone through all these legendary names started with Marty Glickman who was a legend in broadcasting and one of the OGs essentially go back and watch either the documentary of him on HBO or read his story and you understand the levity of what we're talking about he was the the guy who started all of this he was the first domino essentially because Mm. Bob Costas admired someone like Marv And then Sean McDonough admired someone like Bob and then Mike Tirico admires someone like Sean. It's just a whole domino that just keeps going. And then now it's the modern generation. And so I think this idea was, well, they must have been learning something in the classroom that no one else was getting. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Sure, the professors at Syracuse are top notch, first class from top to bottom. The facilities there are professional level facilities. So you're working in environments from day one in, in theory. But what it is, is everything you get to do outside the classroom, it's sharpening your skills. It's this competition factor that you don't quite get everywhere else because you can go there. There are great programs across the country now. They've developed all across America and even beyond now in in the entire world where you can learn these skills and you can practice and develop. And it just comes down to getting reps. If you're not at your very best on a Monday at 3.30 p.m., someone next to you is going to be. So you need to make sure that you are at your A-plus game whenever possible because it's this healthy competition. Like I felt this idea of, okay, I know that I'm competing with this guy or this girl to get to this level, but at the same time, I want to see them succeed because I'm friends with them. Mm. And so I think we'll have that forever. And it does prepare you for the cutthroat aspect of the actual professional industry that is broadcasting or media in general. And so that stood out to me was WAER, which is the radio that all those legends have worked at. It's a professional NPR station. You need to be a professional the day you walk in there. You need to show up at 6 a.m. as a to get there and, and record a cast, not even to get on the air, just to start the process to get on the air. Then there's Z89. There's, that's a student-run radio station. There's Citrus TV, student-run TV station. There's ACC Network. And you got to do it all. you got to find a way to try to do as much as you possibly can and perfect every role along the way in this process. So it's that to me, that separates Syracuse from everything else. It's the, the experience you get outside the classroom that's unmatched. All right, so 
let's go up to your senior year. You're 22 years old. What is the plan after Syracuse without knowing what you were going to do with the Clippers? I mean, let's, let's kind of, let's be real here. What was the, what was the plan after Syracuse? You know, what's crazy, Steven, is I really didn't have a plan. It was like the Joker, I guess. Do I look like a guy with a plan? You know, I, I didn't, I wasn't fully Heath Ledger yet, but I was getting there. I was fortunate for so many reasons, but obviously having my dad as a sounding board and as someone who could give me advice at a drop of a hat was huge, absolutely massive for going into the same thing. And it would be like that. He was a doctor and I wanted to be a doctor. If he was a musician and I wanted to be, it's, if you go into the same thing as a parent or a sibling or someone who you're close to, it obviously gives you some level of advantage just to have them there on board. So I remember asking him going into my senior year, I said, all right, what do you think? Like applying to jobs or any of that stuff. And he said, not until the second semester, said, I wouldn't even focus until at least March. I said, why do you say that? He said, because you got to enjoy your senior year mm. and the jobs that you're going to eventually apply to aren't even going to be available. The ones that you're eventually going to be looking to aren't even going to be available until then. And you need to make sure that you time it well enough. Now he came from the sense of he started working three days after he graduated his senior year of Syracuse. He had options to go on the air. He decided not to go on the air. Yeah. He goes to WFAN with the thought of, I'm going to meet as many people there. I'm going to leave an impression. I'm going to work really hard. Eventually, I'm going to put myself in the number one market so that I can ascend to being on the air in the number one market. And it worked out for him. But he didn't necessarily go after that day one of senior year. He waited till second semester. I didn't have a plan as a result. I didn't have anything that I was saying, okay, at this exact date, I'm going to do this. Or at this exact date, I'm going to do that. I got really lucky in the sense that January or so came around and I had a professor who reached out to me and just said, hey, do you have a basketball reel that you can send to me? And she said, I said, oh, okay, what's it for? She said, I don't want to tell you. I'm like, that would help if you could, though. She goes, just know someone's interested. And if you could send me a reel of all your basketball work, that would be great. So I sent it to her. A couple weeks later, she says, hey, do you have a resume or a bio? I said, okay, yeah, I'll send that over too. And then I heard nothing for a long time, pretty much a couple months at this point. We go to the tournament. We come back from the tournament after we lost around a bailer a sleeping giant at the time and get back to cuse i was doing a radio show day which is how we actually met steven the first time mm -hmm. i was doing that show the student section and so i was driving to it this was right after right around the the final four i think national championship time and i get a call from an la number i didn't have in my car i answer it it's this massive voice and this guy nick davis who i still know today it still works and great guy. Love him to death. He just says, Hey, I'm sure you're aware, but we're replacing Ralph Lawler with the Clippers. And we'd like to interview you and audition you fly you out to LA uh, next week. And so wow. I, I've said this joke before, but I'll say it every time because it really was how I felt. Like I thought Ashton Kutcher was going to pop out and it's just going to be on pumped. <laughs> like that's how I felt in a moment. I almost pulled the car over. Yeah. I almost, I think I almost crashed the car because I was so shell shocked. So I said, uh, oh, yeah, I play, I try to play it cool. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. For sure, yeah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so I, I, I just basically signed on with an agency. I, I tell them, they set everything up. I fly out to L.A. the next week, and I interview, I audition. I take a red eye back because I'm still in school at the point. I get a message a couple of days later from my agent saying, hey, Steve Bummer wants to meet with you next week in Seattle. Oh, my like, gosh. I was like, okay, great. Now, did so, you think it went well, the audition? Yeah. So I'll be honest with you that day that I interviewed and auditioned with the Clippers in LA, I thought I left there. I remember calling my parents. I was like, 
I think I nailed that actually. I think I did really well, and especially in the interview and the audition, I thought went pretty well too. It was me and Corey McGetty, who I grew up watching. Yeah, and yeah, you wow. know, a legend in night sense of someone who played a lot of 2K growing up because he was a high flyer and got to talking to him. Great, great guy. We did a, a Celtics Clipper game from earlier in the year when they came back from a huge deficit right after the trade deadline, and it was great. But yeah, but the reason I also felt good was because. My interview day with the clip with the team in LA happened right after game five of Clippers Warriors in 2019. Mm. Clippers went to Oracle. So in game two, they had they came back from 31 down. Game five, they basically controlled the game there and they stole another game on the road with elimination. So I'm walking in there with house money, in my opinion, because everyone's happy that they, the season's still going. They get to sell more tickets for a home game. It was the perfect storm for me. So it just worked out in that sense of, okay, I, I walked in there and everyone was feeling good already. So yep. all I knew, all, I knew all I had to do was not F it up essentially. And then once I heard I was meeting with Steve, I said, all right, now I'm playing with real house money now, because my whole thought process, the whole experience was just that an experience. experience. I didn't necessarily, yep. yeah, I didn't expect to go in there and, and they're going to hand me a job. I expected, okay, I'm going to go through this process. It's going to give me unbelievable information of yep. how this works moving forward. So I have nothing to lose. So I went into the the bomber interview, flew to Seattle. I got a lot of frequent flyer miles out of Syracuse <laughs> International Airport, which was great. The gate agent's starting to know me now. And the the, the bomber interview was awesome. I, I got there and they emailed me beforehand. I thought that they thought I was so young that I didn't know how to do menial tasks because I they emailed me before saying, hey, you arrive tomorrow, call us and we'll tell you how to use the elevator. And I was kind of like, <laughs> I mean, I... I'm not five, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't ask to be called a random anymore. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm 22. I'm about to get my degree. I get out, <laughs> I look around and they go, it's going to be that office down that way. He'll be in there in about 10 minutes. So I'm just sitting there. I'm like, what do I do? I don't want to touch anything. I don't right, want right. to mess anything up. And he walks in and he is just, it was one-on-one and he is exactly how you see him on TV, high energy, super into it. And I just, the one thing that always stood out from that interview was, he he goes, do you have any questions for me? And I said, yeah, well, what do you what do you want out of your broadcaster? You know, I feel like you probably don't get asked that question a whole lot. What are you looking for? And without hesitation, just looked me dead in the eye and goes, someone who's hardcore. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, like, do you want me to ride a skateboard to the yeah, game? Yeah. I can do that. I can I can be hardcore for you. But I love the man. And he, yeah. he's, he's the type of guy that remembers everyone's name walking down the tunnel. will say every, you know, go out of his way to say hi to you, check on you, ask you about yourself. He's the smartest guy in the room, but never acts like it. It's just rare to get someone like that with as much money, obviously, as he has in power and whatnot. So that was great. I took another red eye back to Syracuse and, you know, I graduated, went to Chicago for some G League, uh, G League elite camp. And, and the next day I got the call. And they offered me the radio job. They said, take the weekend to think about it. I was like, I don't know what I need to think about. I'm good. <laughs> and so I, I called them back on Sunday night and the rest is history. Unbelievable. What a story. What a story. Um, coming off as professional when you are younger, mm. right? Like going to shoot around and, you know, wanting to kind of like be like, no, no, like I, I'm legit, you know? How did you find that balance or how, who gave you advice on that? Is that something that you did struggle with early on? It was definitely something that was that took more of an adjustment than I think I anticipated because I had the blueprint of my dad doing it. My dad got up when he was real young in his 
early to mid twenties. I guess he really officially started when he was 25, but no, he was, he was a baby at that point. That was still unheard of. And so I asked him and he got lucky because he had Bill Raftery to kind of push him along. And so I think when you have Raft there, it makes a lot of things a little bit more fun, obviously. And it's not as buttoned up. Raft likes to have fun and therefore everyone else is going to want to have fun around him. Versus for me, I didn't have I didn't have someone like that necessarily. I also do the games by myself. Yeah. So I didn't even have an analyst to sit there with and just get ideas with or talk to or any of that stuff. So it was definitely difficult at first to to convince people that I wasn't just this right. 22-year-old kid. I think that was a hurdle that I didn't anticipate just because my whole life I've always been thought of as this ultra-mature old soul, which I am, you know, I watch all the old shows, movies, music, read all that type of stuff. So I get that, you know, I understand where it comes from, but at the same time, I still was a fresh college graduate and I still wanted to be a fresh college graduate. And I wanted people to come with me when I wanted to go to a bar on the road or any of that stuff. So I did have to find that balance. And I think it just took time more than anything else. When you're in the environment enough and long enough, people start to realize, and you got to do good work, treat people the right way and show you're not scared. I think most most people expect a 22-year-old put in that environment, or in your case, even, what are you now, 24? 24, yeah. Okay, I, I got it on the money. Good now, job. You, you don't look a day over that. So I look good. 18 <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, you know. yeah, no, you're lead, you can vote. You're good. I got um, the soul patch. I don't know if you saw I'm working on it. I saw it. Yeah, no, I it saw it. It took me a year, tan. but it's what Yeah, the soul patch with the tan is a nice elite I mean, come Miami on. look, so yeah. you're good. Right. Uh, but it's a similar thing for you of, I think most People just expect that a 24-year-old, 22-year-old, whatever it is, young 20-something-year-old is going to go into a, a shoot-around or a practice or have to do an interview and be nervous or be scared and, yeah. and not be themselves. And I think that's what eventually happened for me was I, I came to the realization of, no, I'm not just going to be quiet all the time. Like, I got to go be me. And so now over these three years, people have started to see it, whether it was right away or gradually of, oh, no, no, he's he's fine. He's just kind of like one of us. And so mm. give it time. But also you got to, you got to go in with that confidence. I belong. And if you have that, I belong here mentality and attitude, eventually everything clicks. When you look at the top broadcasters out there, whether it's play-by-play or, or a host, what are some of the qualities that seem to pop up the most? I think certainly for hosting and definitely even for play-by-play too, there's got to be a comfortability factor. You've got to feel if you're watching them or listening to them, you've got got to feel comfortable as if they're sitting with you or talking to you. I think Mike Tirico is one of the best in the business at this. If you watch Mike Tirico host literally any event, a couple things will always stand out about him. First thing is this, his knowledge based on the subject is unmatched. He is going to know every possible facet of what he's about to talk about, whether it's if he does horse racing, he knows every possible thing you could need to know about horse racing. When he does football, he knows the rules sometimes before the rules analysts even come in and tell you about the rules. And he's like that in general. He is a junkie when it comes to it. But you need to have that wide knowledge base. But the thing that always stood out to me with him was he looks through a camera and you can feel him looking at you. You can feel him connecting with you. And it's something that I can talk about it all day or a professor in college could tell you about it all day. It's something that just needs to click eventually. And it comes Mm. with more reps, but it's something that's either innately eventually in you or not. So it's, it's a hard thing to say, but that is something that has always stood out with the best hosts, especially, is that comfortability, that warmth. Ryan Seacrest, I'll go outside of sports. Ryan Seacrest, <laughs> another example. When he yeah. started, this is what I do, Steve, and this is what That's I do. That's a good I, example, I study, though. You know? yeah. but, but think about it. When he first started American Idol, it was him and another dude. And I still remember watching the first season, Justin Guardini just got, he got robbed. 
but uh, it was <laughs> it was Ryan and this other guy who no one remembers his name because he was so much worse than Ryan Seacrest. And it made Ryan so much better because the other dude was uncomfortable and Ryan mm. just showed up and everything was easy. It just, he made it feel easy and you were sitting back in your chair watching him. That's the mark of a good broadcaster. Can you sit back and relax when you're watching someone talk to you? For play-by-play, I think it's always recognizing what the moment is requiring of you. And what I mean by that is this, in the first quarter, if someone has a huge dunk, you're going to react to it. In the fourth quarter, if someone has that same huge dunk, the reaction is going to be higher. Yep. You, are, you are matching the moment, right? But it's not just even that. What does the moment require? In the first or second quarter, it might require some good biographical information, or it might require a story that you heard or something like that. But in the nitty gritty of a game, I've gotten into this trouble before when I first started out where I was trying to squeeze in every bit of preparation that I had. And I started to realize that's not what the people who are listening or watching need to know. They need to know at that moment what the most important thing is. And if it's a close game in the fourth quarter, the most important thing is what's happening to us. Most important thing is making sure you nail the call. So I think it's just that comes with time. That comes with practice for sure. That's something that I feel like I've taken a lot of pride of trying to sharpen as I continue on in this industry. We'll do one more here. Um, If you are in school right now, what would be the initial steps? Just if you're just at, you know, I don't even know, like a, just any or, ordinary university, you want to get into this business. Where would you start? Where would you go? How would you get on track for someone that really wants to get into this industry? Yeah, let's say I was at, I don't know, Kane University as an example. <laughs> he did his research. <laughs> uh, no, I think that is, the, that is the best part to me about wanting to do this is you truly can do it anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's the separations in terms of the programs and the prestige that might come with it. I get that. But if you're good, you're good. And if you go anywhere you want, you can do this. So I don't care if you are at, if you're, you could do it in high school if you want to. I don't care where you are. It's just about doing it. And I didn't understand that when I first started, but my first game, I was terrible. I mean, you can go back and listen to it. I was, I was bad. I I told this other story to some people before, and, and it's pretty funny when you think about it. But when I prepared, the first thing you can do essentially at Syracuse for most people is high school football. So I, all my summer going to my sophomore year, every day was making a tape to send to someone to get critiqued for high school football. And I was doing the tapes for Jets games because I'm a Jets fan growing up and I knew the team. Mm-hmm. I, I just every day was doing a quarter or half a quarter just to just keep practicing, keep getting it and, and making tapes to eventually get cleared. And so every day I was saying Ryan Fitzpatrick, back, throws, Brandon Marshall, catch, et cetera. So I finally get cleared. And I'm pretty sure the first play that I had, it was like a Baldwinsville Auburn game. I go Fitzpatrick drops back. And the guy looked, the guy next to me was like, what? And I'm like, I mean, Jones, Jones drops back, <laughs> you know, because I was so just trained at that yep. point to yep. say Patrick. So that's my point is it took a long time to get to where I am now. So the more reps you're getting, the better it's the, it's the, just the cold hard fact of anything you do. If you want to be a great shooter, you got to shoot a lot and make 500 threes every day. If you want to be a great pianist, you got to play the piano every single day. If you want to be a great artist, you got to keep practicing and just fine tuning your skills. And so it's no different in broadcasting. So I think the biggest piece of advice for anybody in college is find out how you can get started yep. and just do it and just keep doing it and keep finding ways to get better and listen back to yourself and say, okay, I can do this better. Reach out to people you've made connections with or people you trust who can critique you or listen you back. And I'm not just talking about 
people who are in the business. I think that's also a mistake that some, some of us make is, and I, I made that mistake probably early. I was only getting critiques from people in the business. You got to think about it. What are, what's most of your audience? Most of the people watching or listening to you, they don't know anything about broadcasting. You want to hear from them because you want to hear how do you sound to the, an average person, average sports fan, maybe. I think that's important too. So I, that's something that I've tried as well. Of like, oh, do you think that sounded good to some of my friends or whoever else? So just doing it. I know it's the Nike idea, mm. but just do it is important. The more reps you get, the easier everything is going to become. All right. Awesome stuff here with Noah Eagle. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Shout out to Noah. Shout out to you guys. Rate, subscribe, and review. And we will talk to you next Thursday here on the Sports Talkers podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sports Talkers podcast with Stephen Strong. A reminder that each episode can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting platforms. To stay up to date on future episodes, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.